Welcome to Cat Talk Radio with your host, Molly DeVos. Molly is a cat expert and certified feline training and behavior specialist. With her expertise and her guests, you'll learn how to interpret and control behavior issues with your cat, how to entertain and converse with them, and keep up on the latest feline news around the world. Now, here is Molly DeVos. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Cat Talk Radio, the podcast that explores the mysterious and captivating world of our feline companions. I'm your host, Molly DeVos, and today we're joined by Dr. Brian Hurley, the National Medical Director of Amerivet Veterinary Partners, and Jalan, and a special guest, a cat this time, Lolo. They're going to demonstrate and simulate what a typical exam at your vet would look like. Now, this episode was requested by our friend Kim Pierce. Kim wrote to us and said, I just went back and listened to the wellness interview with Dr. Hurley, and I wondered if you'd done the step-by-step what a vet is looking for in an exam. She says, I'm very curious to hear this. And we are too, because I know a lot of times, you know, vets don't tell us exactly what's going on. You know, they're feeling around and doing stuff. And so we thought this was a great idea for an episode. So Dr. Hurley and Jalan and Lola, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us back. Yeah. And I want to start with, so Lolo is like uh, most cats would be in a, an exam in a, in a carrier getting ready for you. And uh, why don't we start with, because I think this is a, a very important place to start, start with what our cat parents can be doing at home to make this whole process easier for you. Because statistics show that you know, less than 50% of people even take their cat to the vet. And we know that that's not because the cat doesn't need an annual exam. It's typically because it freaks the cat out just having to get there in the first place that nobody wants to do it or put their cat through that again. So there's got to be some things that we can do to make this easier on everybody. Start there. All right. So I think one of the first and probably one of the most important things that we can do to start acclimating our uh, feline family members to a carrier, whether it's like this one, which is nylon, we have the hard shell and we have combinations of the two. Uh, One is the carrier that's gonna be used to take them to the veterinarian needs to come out long before uh, the visit, the day of the visit. Because the, the thing that cats will recognize is that sudden change of, oh, my gosh, the carrier's out. And they do have memory and they're going, if that's the only time they ever go into it, that's going to be that first stimulus that impacts them. So I know what we used, what I used to do uh, when AJ was with us is that carrier stayed in his common area all the time, just like we would a dog crate. So he go in and out at will. We kept his favorite blankets, some of his toys in there. Um, And so it was always there. And so when a day of the vet came in, I'd throw some treats in, he'd walk in, I'd close the door and off we went. Now he still knew something was happening because most of our cats don't leave the house that that frequently. And that's why there's this added anxiety. So using blankets with their smell, common smells, having the treats, 
Uh, catnip is always a good one to kind of get them going in, in, into the carrier. And the other thing that we also use is pheromones. The biggest one that we see is Feloway. Feloway um, is a, a cat pheromone that not only can you purchase um, either online or at your veterinarian, but you can spray blankets, carriers, so it kind of calms them down prior to getting to the veterinarian. We use it in-house. We have blankets that we spray for our feline patients, as well as a lot of times as I was going into a feline room, invariably one of my technicians would meet me at the door and start spraying me down with the pheromone. Again, <laughs> just so it would remove some of the dog smells and some of the other smells that are just inherent in the environment. Yeah, so that is what can help. Um, and then once you're at the veterinarian, have an easy access. So I like these carriers. I have two choices. I can go in from the sides or, I, or you know, from the front or I can go in from the top uh, to examine the cat or pull the cat out. And, you know, I've seen a lot of patients inside the carrier because it was more comfortable than bringing them out onto the table. Yeah, sure. And we're going to try it differently today so everybody can see the exam. Okay, good. Okay, good. Yeah. And, and, you know, talking about the pheromones too, I know Feel Away has some like little wet wipe packets that you can actually wipe the carrier down with also. Those, those are good. They've got several ways, you know, the sprays, the wipes. It's, it's a good. And they have a plug in too for the house. So, So it's something that you can diffuse just like we have the electric deodorizers for our homes, feel away can be used, particularly if you have cats that have a little anxiety, even in the home, that's a common thing that, that we use. The other carrier that I think is really good is the hard case carriers. They tend to be a, a little bigger, uh, but one of the advantages, advantages to those are you can remove the screws, so you can remove the top and the door. And yeah, nice, comfortable, and gives me a little more room than say a, a a carrier this size. I, in fact, I just did a review on a new one I saw at the show. It's a like the whole carrier. It's a hard side carrier, and it's a drawer that pulls out. Yeah. So the cat just stays in there and the whole carrier pulls out in a drawer and then you can just slide the cat right back in. And it's, it's, it's nice. I liked it. It's big. It's heavy. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it's a, as we've talked about in other episodes, it's just so important to get to this moment where we can physically get our hands on our patients and make sure that they're healthy and we're not catching anything that we might need to address. Yeah. True. Okay, let's see. What do you? What would you? What would you do first? Hey, just kind right. of talk through what's going through your mind as you're doing an exam. Absolutely. So the first thing is I'm going to have Jalon uh, go ahead and take Lolo out for me. Um, so we're going to do that kind of first initial uh, introduction because obviously this is the first time I've seen uh, Lolo as a patient. So we always kind of start slow, and I just want to get her out, kind of see how she's doing, and then just make sure that, um, you know, I can start petting her and kind of see. She's pretty. See how she's going to react. Um, You know, I'm going to just kind of, just make sure you tell me if you can hear me, because I'm going to talk just a little softer than. Yeah, sure. Yeah, we can hear you. Is she a Bengal? She is. She's a five-year-old Bengal. She's beautiful. So just letting her get a little acclimated. That's the big thing. But, you know, 
I always say that as veterinarians, we always do things with purpose. So, and by that, what I mean is when I'm just petting her, trying to get to, you know, get her used to my touch, I'm also kind of feeling for any lumps or bumps, anything that is obvious just during, you know, this introduction, um, you know, kind of rub the legs, rub under the chin, again, just getting her acclimated to me. But like I said, it's a good first round of, of kind of looking. Most vets, we tend to do our exams from the nose to the tail. So we always start up front and kind of move our way to the back. So in general, and I'll have Jalan help me. <laughs> um, so I'm just going to turn her towards me. Because one of the things I first do is I'm always looking for symmetry. So when we're, you know, now again, remember in, in an exam, this is all going to take place in a really quick uh, time frame. You know, usually less than five minutes, we're going to be through the entire exam because we know our time can be limited sometimes. So the first thing is I just like to look at them naturally. And I'm just looking for symmetry. Are the eyes of equal size, the pupils of equal size, you know, do the lips look uh, symmetrical? The ears look symmetrical? Does anything seem off? Do I notice any swelling or anything like that? In this case, I really don't. Everything looks good. The nose um, is good color, moist. Everything looks really good there. And so I'm not really seeing anything alarming as I start that part of the exam. Sometimes I will kind of touch, um, you know, kind of touch near the, the inner part of the eye, uh, eyelid. And again, just looking at reflexes. Do we get that natural, you know, blinking response that we would um, expect? The other thing that we can do is we can kind of move our fingers a lot of times towards their eyes. And like anybody would do, you tend to blink. It's called a menace response. And so all we're looking for is we're checking the cranial nerves, making sure that there's nothing going on inside the, the brain or the cranial nerves that would uh, be indicated by that type of exam. But the pupils look good here. I don't see any discharge. Um, so usually the next phase is I do just like to look at their teeth and their gums. When we're looking at the mouth, we're looking, hey, are, do they have all their teeth? Something very basic. Um, but we also wanna assess how much tartar is on the teeth. Um, the gum color, we want to make sure is nice and pink. A lot of pets have black gums, but there's always an area that we can look at. The other thing that I'll do quickly is I, I'll kind of put a little pressure on the gums themselves. And what we're looking for is what we call capillary refill time. We're just making sure that they're well hydrated. We expect when you blanch when you push, it turns white. When you let it go, you want it to refill within a two-second period. Mm -hmm. If it's delayed, that gives us indication that maybe they're dehydrated and we might need to make some other recommendations. We're going to see how this goes. You uh, And you you said teeth missing. You know, I, we know a lot of cats with a couple teeth missing, some even with canines missing but still have molars. Is that something to be alarmed about? No, I think it's just more just making sure that we keep track of how many teeth they have. We're also really quickly looking, is there any uh, holes in the teeth? You know, 
during the dental episode, we talked about feline resorptive lesions, yeah. cavity-like, even though we know they're not cavities in cats. Uh, but we're looking for those type of issues. When you're opening the mouth, we're looking at the tongue. I tend to press really quickly under their jaw, right in between the two jaw bones. So I can elevate the tongue and quickly look under the tongue, make sure I'm not seeing any masses, anything that would, you know, any foreign bodies that may have been trapped um, underneath the tongue. Those are the type of things that we look at uh, during the oral exam. We're mm -hmm. looking, you know, ultimately dentals are important as we talked about, and there's other things to look at with x-rays, but that's our general exam. There's a little tartar on the teeth. So at this point I would be talking to Jalon about we might want to start thinking about cleaning the teeth uh, at some point just to try to minimize any uh, disease progressing, but the gums look really good. So good. I'm happy with how the, the, the teeth look. It's kind of that cursory start getting the thought process um, in her mind. So if we see progression next time, she won't be surprised by it. Yeah. Now, do they do they have glands, you know, like we do? You know, I know when, when we go to a check, you know, doctors looking in our ears and feeling our glands for swelling. Do they have glands like that in that same kind of facial area? Absolutely. Good timing. So right after I look in the mouth, the next place that I always feel is I'll kind of feel underneath on the neck, kind of towards the back of the jaw. Um, at the lymph nodes, looking for any enlargements, anything that would be concerning there. These, uh, you know, the, the lymph nodes here feel really good. Um, I'm, you know, now once I have looked at the mouth, the nose, the next part of the exam is I do want to look at the eyes. And so I've already looked cursory to see that everything looks symmetrical. And because I don't have my otoscope, uh, um, and ophthalmoscope here with me. I am going to use the light on my phone to, as an example. But one of the things I want to do is I'm just going to shine the light into the eyes. And what I'm looking for is I want to see a nice um, reflex. I want to see a nice reflection come back at me um, because that lets me know that the back of the eye, the fundic exam, uh, by having that reflection and not seeing any redness or spots or anything like that lets me know things are pretty normal. If I had any concerns, I might look a little deeper using um, a transilluminator and a lens that I can look at the back of the eye very specifically, but I don't see anything of concern. The other thing that the light lets me do is look at two things. One is I'm looking at the pupils. And when the pupils, when I shine a light in the pupil, I expect it to constrict because just like when we go in the sun, our pupils get smaller because we don't want that bright light in our eyes. So we look at that in our patients. Not only am I looking at the eye that I'm shining the light in, but I'm also looking at the opposite light because there's something called a, um, a consensual pupillary light reflex where when I shine in the one eye, the other eye responds as well. Uh -huh. And so that lets me know that uh, the nerves are functioning appropriately. And so that's kind of what I'm looking for. I'm looking for redness. I'm looking for any, uh, any growths inside the eye. In our older patients, sometimes we'll see the pupil uh, 
start getting holes in it because it's degenerating a little bit. Nothing of concern, but it's something that we definitely want to know. So, so far, everything's looking really good. So the next part that I look at is the ears. And now, so wait, we- before, before we go on to ears, let me ask you. So if the eyes were dilated, which you kind of expect because they're scared, they're in a different environment, they're going to be partially dilated, and they didn't contract to the light like you would want them to, would that indicate hypertension? Um, not necessarily. Like everything comes in in relation to how the, the pet's acting too. So absolutely. I mean, usually when I'm looking at hypertension, the things that I have seen is sometimes you'll see blood in the eye if it, if there's been some ruptured vessels or um, that's where the, you know, when we take the lens and we look at the back of the eye, you can see the vessels at the back of the eye have changed. It's hard to do that without those tools um, to be able to, to see, but the eyes can, you know, the eyes are the window into the body. And so a lot of disease processes, you can see changes in the eyes. Hmm. Okay. You're doing awesome. She's doing great. <laughs> so, so the next thing that, that we always look at is just the ears. And what I'm looking at is I'm just looking to see if there's any redness, any discharge, anything that would be of concern that where I'd want to recommend a cytology, something else to see if I can diagnose an issue that we may need to treat. If I had an otoscope, this is where I would take a cone. I'd look all the way down um, at the eardrum. The eardrum shaped as an L. So I can see this part of the ear, but I can't see this part just with my naked eye. Uh, so that's one thing I'm missing here, but that's something that I would be looking at just to make sure that I'm not seeing any disease. Any, uh, you know, when you look at an eardrum, it's very translucent. Um, if it becomes really white or thickened or scarred, that's indicative of either chronic ear infections or something going on in the middle ear, uh, that we may want to make some further recommendations. So that kind of finishes the head. Um, so the next part that I always do is the, the next thing is I will just kind of rub their neck along the trachea. And this is where we're feeling the thyroid gland. So as we've talked about before, hyperthyroidism is a fairly common disease that we see in older um, patients particularly. And so what we're feeling is do we feel any enlargement, anything suggestive of thyroid hyperthyroidism? whether it's a cancerous process or just that normal benign thing that can be treated with medication. So that's something else that we look at. So at this point, um, we're gonna go ahead and we're going to uh, turn Lolo around and face mom. Now, would you have asked, I I know we're simulating this, so you probably skip this part, but would you have asked um, Jalan, if, if there's been any changes in her behavior or appetite or things like that too? Absolutely. During, you know, during the history part of the, the physical exam, we're asking any change, you know, is there, has there been any bonding, diarrhea, coughing, sneezing, changes in appetite, uh, sleeping behavior, activity, all those things we're doing kind of at the history component. Most of the time, 
our technicians or, or nurses are asking those questions. Um, it's okay. No. <laughs> it's okay, no, no. It's okay. Um, but, uh, you know, but that's kind of pre the physical. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to speed up just a tad here. Yeah, because she's getting anxious. <laughs> the next thing I'm going to do is we're going to just listen to her heart. She's giving me a nice crowd. Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and go through the exam real quick. And then I'm going to go back and uh, add some comments to what I was doing. Okay. One of the things I always look at, one, she's growling. So we know that my time's getting a little short. Um, the other thing is she's starting to flick her tail. Right. You know, she's getting a little antsy. Yep. Ears are getting tense. And mm-hmm. I've listened to the chest. Now I'm just exploring the abdomen. Yes, I. <laughs> we even heard that one. <laughs> I know. It's okay. I know, sweetheart. And it's got to be hard to tell. I mean, is that you know, are you are you hitting spots of discomfort, or is she just really just being stressed? You know. And she looks. She looks full. Oh, oh. You okay? <laughs> All right, sweetheart. Okay, she said I'm done. All right. <laughs> All right, so she can go back in. Okay, come on. She's happy to go in now. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so, so basically, um, and those are the things that we look at. And that's kind of, you know, again, that's a, a prime example of the anxiety, not only, you know, for Lolo, but for Jalon as well, as as they start to, you know, growl a little bit, get a little wanting to move around, you know, the, the timing. That's why you see vets when they go for the exam. There's a very little talk, particularly in our feline patients, because we want to get through the exam because we can now have the conversation. Yeah. So after feeling the neck, I was listening to the the, the chest. So obvious things are, are you okay? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, one of the things that I uh, am listening for is first lungs. Just am I hearing anything out of the ordinary? Crackles, wheezes. Am I hearing movement of air inside the chest? Because if I'm not, that could be indicative of something going on. And so that's one of the things I'm looking for or listening for when I'm listening. So I do that on both sides of the chest. When I'm on the right side of the chest, I'm listening for the heart sounds. I'm listening to the tricuspid valve. I know exactly where I am and what I, you know, what valve I'm checking. And I'm listening to hear any murmurs. Murmurs, the way I describe murmurs to owners, is it's like listening to a washing machine. Yeah. It's a lot of mm-hmm. that murmur versus your normal heart sounds, which are more of a look to looked up when you hear that that's that tells us that something's going on with the valves mm-hmm. on the left side of the chest we're listening to the pulmonary uh valve we're listening to the aortic valve and we're listening to the mitral valve and so all that's being listened to during um the chest exam as well as i'm i'm picking up heart rate uh the speed of the heart which obviously as they get a little more anxious, that heart rate goes up. Um, but I can explain it by that. I'm not worried about, you know, a fast heart rate. 
Uh, I'm also listening for arrhythmias. I'm listening for skips of beats, missing beat, all those things um, we're listening to in a very short period of time, looking for um, anything that would suggest that we need to do x-rays or an ultrasound uh, you know, of the chest. And we do it fairly quickly. That doesn't mean we're catching everything. Otherwise, we, you know, when we're really concerned based on the history that Jalan would provide, that there might be a heart issue. Sometimes we have to go to heart monitors that are on for 24 hours because I'm listening for this short period of time and I yeah. might not have heard it for an hour. How on yeah. earth do you keep a heart monitor on a cat for 24 hours? <laughs> I know it's always a trick and the, the patient plays a big role in that too, but we have ultrasounds, we have other mechanisms that we look at long before we, we hook them up. Arrhythmias are the ones that we sometimes have to hook up to a monitor because it, it happens periodically throughout a 24 hour period. That's sometimes hard to know. And even if we hear it, we have to take everything in. Are they anxious? And because all those things can create issues um, within the chest. Once I'm done with the chest, I kind of move into the abdomen. And so what I'm doing is when I'm feeling up top, I'm, I'm feeling for the kidneys and I'm just making sure they feel kidney shaped. I'm making sure they're not enlarged. Those are the things I'm feeling. When I'm underneath feeling the, the front, I'm feeling around the stomach and I'm also feeling uh, the liver, looking again for any growths or, or enlargement of the liver, which then would send us down a path of blood work, x-rays, ultrasound. Mm -hmm. Kind of repeat myself with the initial diagnostics for most things. Um, I'm also feeling the intestines as I move back through um, the abdomen uh, and ultimately getting back to the bladder where then I can, you know, just make sure it feels soft, pliable, because in our uh, block cats, it almost feels like we're feeling a softball. Mm. Uh, and so, those are all the things that we're kind of looking at through and the spleen, looking at through our physical exam, just looking for changes in size, shape, or do we hit something that doesn't belong in the, you know, in the abdomen. Um, and we tend to go through that fairly quickly. Uh, the, the other part when I was kind of, you know, going across the top of the skin, I put pressure over the spine. I'm just, feeling for any sensitivities in the spine. And so I can do that um, from the, the vertebra that started at the neck all the way down to the tail, just to make sure everything's okay. And then ultimately I end, uh, after kind of rubbing my hands down the tail, I do check the legs. And if you saw, I you know, as we're watching them move, I'm watching how their paws move, which, you know, when they're grabbing the, the table, I know everything's intact. So nothing looked abnormal, um, which jumped down. There wasn't any she didn't collapse. So there's no pain. So all these things we're constantly using our eyes to see, are they giving us anything that would suggest an issue um, with the hind legs? As you saw, I usually will push the front legs out, just make sure there's full range of motion. I like to pull them up. Cats are great because when they're laying on the table, they pull their legs in and you know there was no issues there um ultimately i just extend the hip you know the legs and i'm just looking at the hip joints making sure there's no pain uh i also rub my 
hands down the leg really quickly. And all I'm looking for is any swelling, particularly of the joints, the, the knee or what the most veterinarians may call the stifle during an exam and then right down to the paws. Mm -hmm. So uh, that is kind of that complete physical exam as most um, of our viewers probably know that happens within three to five minutes. It's really quick, but as you can see, we're looking at a lot of information in a very short period of time. And we're looking at the obvious in the physical, you know, that is half of the exam. The physical gives us a lot of information, but as we've talked about in previous episodes, now I would be turning my attention to, to, to Jalan and letting her know, you know, Lolo's doing great. I see absolutely nothing out of the ordinary. Uh, had we taken a history, I'm going to assume just by one question, anything out normal in the history. So with the normal history and a normal physical, I think we're almost there. Uh, that we can, we can almost say, hey, this is great. We're going to see you next year because she's a, a younger cat and we're, 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 we're good to go. However, the final component that I would talk to um, Jalan about is running some preventative blood work yeah. to now look at the function of those same organs because my hands can't tell me how those organs are functioning. If they're big, I'm recommending it anyway, but just because it's normal doesn't mean there's not something brewing. It's just not uh, gross enough change for me to pick up. And so that becomes that next thing. Yeah. And in light of how things went towards the end, here's my conversation. Jalan, everything looks really good with Lolo. And I really do want to run some blood work. But I think she's kind of at the point where today might not be the day because it might be a little stressful for her. And also on us as the team members trying to do it without causing her any undue stress. So what I'd love to do is maybe in a month or so, have you come back and all we're going to do is draw blood because she's really good for, you know, that five minute window and we want to take advantage of that. And then we'll talk a little bit about a couple of things we might do that will help us too. Because one of the things as veterinarians, as we've talked about to Molly is this is where I would maybe talk about doing gabapentin before yeah. that point. That's what I was going to ask you. Yeah. <laughs> we, can calm, yeah we can calm her down just long enough for us to be able to do it. It'll be you know, a little less stressful for her, stressful for the team, and stressful on mom. Yeah. Now, what about weight? Would you talk to her about body score and where she is in weight and that kind of thing? Yeah, I had the advantage of I got to go uh, see Lolo uh, in Jalan's office <laughs> uh, prior to and, in, and seeing her walk around. Uh, her body condition score was good. I don't have a scale, but I'm going to make the assumption she's probably in that 10 to 12 pound range which I'm okay with in light of everything that I'm seeing. And so that's another aspect that, uh, you know, that, that we would mm -hmm. you know, discuss. Obviously we'd be discussing any concerns with diet or treats or, you know, anything like that. If we were to see something abnormal, um, I, based on the history, I, kind of make judgments as to, you know, I, I do look at the food and if I'm seeing a good quality food, something that, you know, that I'm okay with and the weight's good, there's not a whole lot of talk about, except keep doing what you're doing because things are looking really good. Yeah. Uh, at any time I see 
the weight going up or I'm finding a problem. Now it opens up a whole new conversation based on, you know, what we're seeing. But, you know, I would give Lolo a, a good, clean bill of health. She was an excellent patient. This is nothing compared to what we deal with sometimes. And, right. um, and you know, I think in, in this day and age, it's just knowing when to say when. Yeah. You know, I could have pushed through it and kept talking, but my concern isn't really this podcast and showing the exam step-by-step. It was about getting her back into the carrier where she was most comfortable yet still getting a good exam on her and knowing, letting, you know, listening to, to what Lolo is asking of me, which was get done as fast as you can, because I'm going to get you next. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And you've just seen why people don't take their cat to the vet. <laughs> right. <laughs> but what I hope they also see is we're aware of it and we respond to it. Yeah. You know, and if this were to get, had gone south even worse, just like I talked about the blood work, I would have the same conversation. Hey, look, I think today we've done enough on the exam. Let's uh, finish, you know, maybe in a couple of weeks after she's calmed down and we'll have plenty of time. Yeah. Get some gabapentin in her before she comes and stuff Absolutely. like that. Yeah. You yeah. Know, but if all my patients, you know, we, had, we see a lot to just kind of sit there and let us do whatever we want. But if this is as bad as it would get for me, I can do an exam and, and finish it safely without too much anxiety. Um, you know, one of the things that cats respond to is we have to think that our, our feline patients really, for the most part, aren't socialized as much as dogs are. They're primarily inside. All their smells are consistent. There's not much environmental exposure. Even us talking, um, because it's a strange voice, it's a, you know, it's different, mm -hmm. escalates their anxiety a little bit. It's not that we're doing anything bad. It's just they aren't accustomed to all these changes all at once. And, you know, the good news is we watch, we listen to them, their movements, how they're responding. The beginning of the exam was absolutely that perfectly normal and right on cue, because we rehearsed this before we came in, I said, Jalon, let's get her to get a little antsy. And so she did, <laughs> you know, all for the benefit of the bar viewers. <laughs> all planned. All right, right. And Lolo did a great job. She Good job, team. Yeah, she <laughs> now, one thing, one thing I will say, too. Now, once you take her home, she's going to smell different than she did when she left. And the other cats, you may have some what's called unrecognition aggression. You get that a lot when a cat comes home from the, the vet because it smells different. It may even trigger a, a traumatic experience they had at a vet and go, oh my gosh, it smells like that. And so it's always better to keep them separated till she kind of gets the home smells back on her and everybody's sure it's her when she gets back home. Yeah. And the other thing I always tell owners too, not during that easy appointment where the cat is very responsive to everything we're doing, but in a case like this, you know, I would tell, you know, I'd say, Hey, John, when you get home, open up the front, don't reach your hand in there because 
she's probably going to bite it or scratch you. And it's not because of you. It's because she thinks it's me going in and she's going to defend her, her home and herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let her reacclimate on her own. Don't force the issue of getting her out. Let her come out when she's ready. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Slow transition and just put her in a room where she can be isolated till she gets back to smelling like like home too. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's this has been great. Anything else that we missed or No, I think we we hit it. Through the entire body system and and uh for the most part none of us are injured. <laughs> well, and I should have said up front because because of the podcast, it's it's both on Voice America as an audio podcast. I should have said up front, run over to our YouTube channel so you can watch this. <laughs> and so if you've now listened through the whole podcast, <laughs> go to the YouTube channel so you can actually see this in action. Um, it's great. It was a great explanation and I think really told a lot. And I think really the, the biggest takeaway is you are looking for a lot and you can't really take the time to explain to the owner what's going on. Because as we see with cats, especially that stress just increases being out of their territory and their safe zone with all the strangeness and the new environment. So you really do have a very, very limited time and window to, to get a lot done. So that, that was good to see. And what you and I talked about, you know, when you're when you're choosing a veterinarian, I think that is a great point, but it still doesn't mean the veterinarian, just like we did here, can't do what they need to do and then have the conversation after. You know, I don't think there's any reason why a veterinarian shouldn't be telling them uh, what it is they were doing or, or what they found, because let's all face it, we all like good news. And so it's great when we're not finding anything bad, but it's also great to say, hey, here's all the systems that are functioning on the surface at peak performance. And, and we're really happy uh, for you, for your, you know, for Lolo, because you're doing a great job and please keep it up. And I can't wait to see you, in, you know, next year, barring any problems between now and then. Yeah. Now, when I usually get to a vet office with Pico, uh, well, first of all, we don't usually arrive in a carrier. Sometimes we do just because I know there'll be dogs in there. He usually walks in on his on his harness and leash. But but I, if I have him in a carrier, once we get to the exam room and we're waiting, I always let him out because he's like anxious to get out and explore. And I figure in those couple minutes that I'm waiting, if he has an opportunity to get out and smell and check the room out, he's going to be a little less anxious going in. You think that's a pico particularity or it, it is that would that be helpful for everybody i think it's always helpful okay. you know the last thing you want to do you know it'd be like us going to our doctor and, and we walk in the door and the first thing she does is because i have a, a female doctor slaps a stethoscope on me and starts an exam you know so having that ability to let them acclimate a little bit um i think it's important i think a lot of veterinary practices. We have towels that we've already pre-sprayed that we put in the room. We spray the surfaces again, just trying to help. So anything that helps them acclimate faster just makes our jobs easier. And, and, and we tried to do that at the very beginning, just by spending a little more time talking and not 
like physically doing anything um, right out of, you know, crate, you know, from the carrier to the table and then boom, I'm on top, you know, doing my thing. You know, we, we try to be a little sensitive to that. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Awesome. Well, I think this has been a fun episode. Thank you, Ramon, and thank you, Lola. (laughs) I'm glad nobody got seriously injured in the making of this podcast. (laughs) And now I owe her dinner. (laughs) Yes, you do. (laughs) Yes, you do. (laughs) We'll have her back with me. I've enjoyed having her in the podcast. That's great. It's a lot of fun for me. Great. Well, thank you guys again for doing this for us. And thank you everybody for tuning in to this interesting episode of what goes on during a veterinary exam for your cat. And until next time, keep calm and purr on. Thanks for tuning in to Cat Talk Radio. Please join your host, Molly DeVos, for another episode of the program, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, go make a connection with your feline friend. You can be a cat lifesaver by helping to keep us on the air. In the U.S., about 10 cats per hour are euthanized in shelters due to behavior issues. Through this educational radio show, behavior consultations, seminars, and articles, Cat Behavior Solutions intercepts cat behavior problems in the home, reducing the number of cats who are surrendered to shelters. Make a donation at catbehaviorsolutions.com. That's catbehaviorsolutions.com. Looking for products that address specific cat behavior issues? On our website, cattalkradio.com, you'll find things that will create enrichment in the environment for your cat. Toys that will reduce boredom, the world's best and safest nail clippers, and much more. All proceeds support our mission, reducing the number of cats surrendered to shelters. Stop by the site and pick up a few tips and tidbits for your cat today. Visit cattalkradio.com and look for The Behavior Shop.